What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Drop Into the Heart. Really super grateful that you take time out of your day, out of your lives to drop in with me. I hope you are getting something out of this show, this podcast. Uh, really trying to share more than you know intellectual thoughts and ideas, but really uh, feelings and connection to the self and really enjoy doing these solo casts. This one is going to be really interesting. I'm going to really reminisce on my football journey. You know, football started uh, again. It is fall, and um, this is my fifth season being done with the NFL. Uh, and so for those of you that are new to this podcast, to the show, to me, welcome. Uh, I've played in the NFL for eight years and uh, been on one hell of a journey of healing, of self-discovery, and I'm excited to dive into all of that with you here today. If you've been listening to this podcast or have been following me for a while, uh, I'm sure you're going to learn just a little bit more about me today. What I love to do is drop in with a quick meditation, a somatic check-in, uh, just to drop into the space uh, with all of you. I think it's really cool that although I'm recording this right now by myself in my office, uh, you're listening to it and somehow we are connected through time and space through your earbuds through your speakers and through this mic i'm speaking into so our energies are connected in this moment that is the infinite present moment that we are all residing in always uh, and so it's really cool kind of contemplate that for a little bit and uh it'll get you a uh, yeah to feel into what is time really but what i like to do is drop in with a quick meditation so if you're driving, you can just connect with the energy of this. Uh, if you are around your house or you can find somewhere quiet uh, and want to take just a few moments to slow down from your busy day, uh, and you know how I know it's busy is because we're always busy, busy humans in this uh, chaotic, distracted world that we live in. And if you're anything like me, uh, you're absorbing podcasts and probably while you're listening to this one to continue learning, growing, and uh, even that can really be a distraction. So I always like to take a few moments to just slow down and find some presence. So wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, if you want to find some stillness, you can take a seat, lay down. You can just stand there. If you're on a walk or in a car, just really slow down and connect with yourself over these next few moments. If you're somewhere... It feels comfortable to close your eyes. Go ahead and do so. Just begin slowing down. Intentionally slow down the energy of your, of your mind, of your thoughts. Bringing your awareness deeper into this present moment. Bringing your awareness inward. Finding your center, whatever that means for you just begin to notice. Notice how you feel. Notice if you have any tension in your body. Notice your emotional state. Begin scanning your body from your feet up to your head slow as quick or as quick as possible and just bringing awareness to all the different parts of yourself bringing your awareness up through your legs your belly your torso and just noticing if you feel any tension anywhere just bringing your awareness back into your body now I'd like you to feel the weight of your body Feel how your body is taking up space in the space around you. And feel the weight of it. Feel the weight of it pressing down through your feet or through your seat. If you're laying down through your body. As you feel the weight of your body pressing down, begin to connect with the force of gravity that is pulling you down towards the earth. Really feeling the pull down, feeling the connection to the earth beneath you, 
feeling it like a, like a hug, holding you tight. Noticing if this makes you feel safe, feels grounded, or present. Bring gratitude to the earth for gifting us with this beautiful opportunity to be, to experience the land that offers us nourishment, all the beautiful wildlife, animals, scenery, gratitude to the beautiful oceans and rivers that flow, gratitude to the sun for shining bright, for being an infinite source of energy, allowing life to be present on this planet. Gratitude to the sky, to the clouds, to the weather. Gratitude to the cycles of life, the seasons. Not only the seasons of the earth, but the seasons within our own life, the cycles that we all go through, the death and the rebirth, the challenges and the joys and the celebrations. We only can know one in relation to the other. If there was no challenge, then how would we know what to celebrate? If there are no bad days, then what would make a good day? If there was no summer, then how would we know winter? Bringing gratitude to the cycles of your own life, no matter where you're at, what you're moving through, being present with what is in this moment. Begin connecting with your breath, feeling the inflow and outflow of air in your lungs. where you're breathing in your body, your belly or your chest, feeling the expansion of air on the inhale and contracting on the exhale. Just noticing the subtle flow of air as it goes through your nostrils, down your windpipe and into your lungs. And again, bringing gratitude to the breath. The one constant that is with us through our entire life, through all the cycles, through all the change, through all the letting go and the evolution and expansion of self. The one thing that is with us always, never changing, is the breath. Also bringing gratitude to the breath for being the anchor point back into the present moment. No matter what we're moving through in life, we can always bring our awareness back to our breath to find stillness, to find presence. Thank you, breath. Thank you, breath, for being the bridge from the conscious and the unconscious the one thing that we both control but also cannot live without. It's really cool if you want to do a little exercise with me on your exhale. Begin holding your breath out, not breathing in. And just subtly hold it there. As you hold it, begin to feel the tension of your body desiring to breathe. You'll notice your body wanting to breathe in. The longer you hold it, it may start making you feel a little anxious. You may start 
really struggling to hold and allow yourself to breathe in and notice how you naturally take a bigger, deeper inhale of life. As we contemplate that moment when you're holding your breath out ever so slightly and the tug you feel to inhale, your ability to hold your breath and hold in that tension gives you the knowing that you're, you are in one way controlling your breath. But on the other side of that is your body is desiring to breathe on its own. No matter how hard you try, how long you try to hold that out breath, eventually you're going to have to give in and your body is going to breathe. And so on the other side, we recognize that the breath is in fact unconscious. It doesn't need any input from us. But we are able to manipulate the breath. We're able to consciously breathe, but at the same time, it's unconsciously happening to us. That's what I mean by bridge, is the one thing that reminds us we are connected to something more intelligent than the ability to just have an awareness of breathing. There's something that is also breathing us. So with that, we're going to take three breaths together to drop into the space before we get started. So let us take a deep breath in through the nose, a long, slow exhale out the mouth, again, deep breath in, and release, one more final deep breath in, and you can gently open your eyes continuing on with what you are doing and again just super grateful that you're here listening to this episode um yeah it's uh really cool recognizing how um how important how intertwined football has become with our western society and culture it's it's fall Football has started, and it is really, really insane how many people love football, myself included. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my, my love for the game and how I uh, NFL really stripped that from me and how it's been quite a process to come back to the connection I've had with it, that, that childlike innocence and the love I had. You know, when I was younger, I first started playing the game. I told myself, um, man. I would play this game forever for free. I don't know why everybody talks about making money and it's such a deal when you make it to the pros. Like I would just play this game for free. I love it so much. Uh, and then I get to my career and towards the end of my career, I, I wasn't, there wasn't an amount of money I could have got paid that I would, I would keep paying, playing. Uh, maybe there would be, maybe one more year or two more years. But uh, I wasn't making, you know, I was making, I think my final year, $4 million. And I said, you know, I walked away from the game. I walked away from $4 million and the game I loved because it was no longer serving me. And I'm gonna get a little bit deeper into that today. Um, but it's really, yeah, it's interesting. Like so many people love the game, people that don't really uh, consume normal amounts of content that I would say like the normal average everyday person, you know, watching all the movies and Netflix and TV and the news. But for some reason, when, when football comes on, it just really connects us all. Uh, and there's just something about it. And I've reflected a lot on that over the last uh, couple of weeks as I've gotten back in and the seasons have started. And um, there's just something something really magical, really magical about football. And I think with where we're headed into the future with all this technology and all this access to content and even social media and everybody's able to create such amazing pieces of content, there's just so much to consume there's something so special about the pure competition of sports and specifically football. And it's it the, the, every, in every single moment, it's so fresh and so new and anything can happen and people can rally behind a team and the, the people watching and then 
the players and the coaches and just how much energy goes into making it work and just the production on on game day and the TV crews and the announcers and all of the, the people at the stadiums working and then the travel and the preparation and the training camps and the players and the coaches and the play calls. It's just, whoa, like really tapping into how much energy goes into it to make it all work and then just how incredible the productions are. Really, really insane. And, and um, so just the other night, I was watching Thursday night football and it was uh, the Chiefs and who was it? The Chiefs were playing. I forget who they were playing. Um, but I've watched the games this year, the last couple of weeks, and it's been the first time. So this is my fifth year done playing the game. Feels like lifetimes since I've got done playing. I've just grown so much and I've expanded so much and I've learned more about who I am and I'm going to get more into like, you know, what it was like to walk away from the game and the lessons that I had to go through. But it was so interesting in this moment watching this Thursday night game because I was connecting with myself as a player and dropping back into the energy that I felt and who I was and the essence that that lived within me. And there's this paradox I was connecting with that the same it's the same me. The same me that played the game is the same me that is now, but everything about me is different. And I was just really sitting with that. And the best way I can describe it is it's been this, this un, unveiling, this deep remembering process of who I am and who I've always been. And, you know, through this deeper healing work and understanding my stories and my drives and my patterns and my traumas and being able to heal those, let those go and come deeper into the purest essence of who I am, been able to connect with back back when I played and and who I am now. And it was just, it's it's crazy how much I've grown. And one of the things I connected with was was this loss of the love of the game that I experienced. And the NFL took that love away. And there's a lot of different reasons for this. And I had a really, really up and down football career. And objectively, you can look at my my career and, and, and say I was pretty successful. I played eight years in the NFL. I played five years with the Falcons, three years with the Bucks. started in over 50 games, played in almost 100. And there was still a part of me that felt like I never fully arrived. I felt like I was always, and that's the thing with the NFL, is like you're always replaceable. You never fully arrive. You know, even Tom Brady, he's won how many Super Bowls? Seven Super Bowls or something like that. He's still playing because there's this there's this insatiable desire for greatness. And I think holding that tension is part of the great great thing about sports. But the, the hard part about holding that is as an individual, as a human, there's something that is never going to be filled from athletics, from competition, from the sport. And the thing that I think most, at least speaking from my own experience, uncovering this deep desire to be validated, to be loved, to be seen, and tracing it back to my relationship with my father and my desire to receive love and connection through this sport that I got so much attention for. And I, I, I attached to it so much that I became one of the best in the world at it and got to a point where it still felt hollow. I still felt like I wasn't 100% happy. I didn't know who I was. I was making millions of dollars a year, had the car, the girl, all the things, everything I ever dreamed of buying when I was younger, I could afford and it lost its luster. So I was like, what is, what is out there? Like, who am I? What is, what is there more to have? And, and there's so many things that happened throughout my career. You know, a lot of people, you know, as a kid, it's like, what's your dream to get drafted in the NFL? That was my dream. And to look back on my life now, when I got drafted, that was when my journey really began. And my childhood dream uh, was accomplished. 2010, I was drafted in the fourth round, pick 117 by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, played at a small school at UNLV in Las Vegas. weren't very good at football, um, but you know, and I was I was projected to be like a free agent or maybe a seventh round pick. Had a really good draft process, ended up getting picked in the fourth round. And when I went to the NF uh, to the Falcons, my rookie year, it was one of the the hardest years of my life. 
Uh, it was a very old team. The offensive line, you know, I think the average age was like 30, 31. A lot of the guys had families. They had been playing together for years. And I'm this 21-year-old kid coming into these, these, all these grown men that have been playing this game and they know it's a business. It goes from being a game to a business really quickly. And there's, there's really not a good transition period. It's, it's really challenging. They, the NFL, like they do these rookie clubs and stuff and they try to get you up to speed. But there's this, there's this moment when you get drafted that you're no longer playing it for fun. You become your own business. And the business of the NFL is ruthless. Like they'll chew you up and spit you out and replace you. And all the injuries and the conflict of interest with the medical staff, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. But there's, there's such a, it, it, I didn't know until like my fourth or fifth year when I finally started getting it and I started really like advocating for myself as a business, as a business owner, and really being able to ask the right questions and protect myself and know that I have rights and, uh, and, and different things like that because the NFL is a business and there's so much money on the line, um, you know, specifically with injuries that they, that there's, as a player, they don't tell you all these things because it's easier to uh, control, kind of manipulate the player if, they, if, the, if the teams are in control. And it's fascinating because as a player, everybody wants to play the NFL. So it, the power does lie in the teams having this like control of if you want to play, then you have to do it this way. And it's not until you make a name for yourself and you become a player that you have any type of like pushback on, on speaking up for yourself. And it's really, really... Uh, a fascinating process. Uh, so my career had a really up and down career. I lost my starting job five different times, uh, believe it or not. And um, there was a part of me when I walked away from the game uh, that had a lot of shame around uh, my career. Like I said, objectively, you can say I, I, I had a really successful career. I started in 50 games, uh, played in almost 100, played eight years, lived a childhood dream, made $13 million or something like that in my career total. And uh, I still didn't feel like I reached my goals and my dreams. I had this vision of being, you know, a, a starting center of a quarterback long-term that, you know, for those of you that like Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday, he was like a center and he was really well known because he played for Peyton Manning for a long time. And uh, that's, that was my dream. And my third year going in, so let me start back. My second year in the NFL, I was playing guard because someone got hurt. So I was starting right guard and the starting center was like a 13-year vet at the time. And so they drafted me to replace him when he retired. And so after my second year, that he was, his contract was up. And so I had this idea in my mind, okay, now it's my, my, my job, my turn. I'm going to move over to center and I'm going to be the starting center with Matt Ryan for the next 10 years and have this illustrious career just like this guy that I'm replacing. And it's all going to be gravy. And go into the draft that year. And with our first pick of the draft in 2012, going into my third season, uh, I got completely blindsided. And they drafted the best center in college football. And when I saw that come across the screen, I felt like the rug was ripped out from under me. Like my entire reality crumbled because no, nobody in the NFL, nobody on the team, nobody in the front office, none of the coaches communicated to me that that was their plan or what they were going to be doing. And so obviously there was talks around, Joe's not our guy. We need to find somebody that can come in and, and play. And so that, all those stories really hit me hard. And I went into a victim mindset. I started really pointing the finger at, all these you know, coaches, they don't get it. They, they don't get how good I am. And they're gonna, they're gonna sh I'm going to show them. They're going to see how bad this guy is. And you know, eventually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my job, it's going to be my job. Just wait, just wait. And I just kept waiting. And so that led me into you know, real deep darkness. Like I, I got depressed and I got upset and I felt isolated and I felt betrayed by, by the team, my teammates. And so I went into training camp that year I went into the offseason that year thinking I was going to be the starter. I went into training camp that year, barely made the team, and I didn't dress the majority of the season. I was just on the sidelines as an inactive player. And every day after practice, I'd go home, and I would drink, have a few beers, I'd take painkillers, and I would just numb out. And all with this idea of eventually it's going to be my job. I'm just waiting for my opportunity. I'm waiting for my opportunity. And then I ended up getting popped for 
uh, Adderall. I failed a PED test, which amphetamines, Adderall is amphetamine. It showed up on a performance enhancing drug test and I'm getting suspended for four games. And in the middle of the season, we were 13 and one at some point, I think. We were the number one seed going to the playoffs. I got suspended for four games. And pretty much that was the last draw. The team uh, decided that they, they no longer uh, wanted me on the team. And so when I came back from the suspension, they called me up to the coach's office. And I'll never forget this day. It was Christmas Eve. Uh, we were like 13 and one. We were about to be the number one seed in the playoffs. We had like one or two games left in the season. They called me up in the office and they said, Joe, we're going to let you go. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you back on the practice squad, but we need a roster spot. So we're going to, we're going to go ahead and let you go. And I'll never forget that moment because sitting in front of the GM and the head coach, I was filled with this profound feeling of regret for the first time in my life. All of the things, all the fingers I was pointing outside myself, all the excuses I was making, all of the stories I told myself and this victim mindset all turned back on me. And I realized in that moment, wow, nobody on this team is going to care. They're all going to go into the playoffs, have a potential to do a Super Bowl run, and they're just going to keep going. And I'm going to be on the streets without a job, knowing that I could have done more. You see, I was waiting for my opportunity. I was just waiting, waiting for it, waiting for it. But I wasn't going out to earn it. I didn't go decide to take it and to own it. And so I was waiting. And so the fact when I, when I finally got cut, I was just, it like sunk in my heart. It was like, wow, I could have done more. I'm the one to blame. I'm the one that didn't show up. I'm the one that didn't play good enough. I'm the one that didn't do all the things that it takes to earn a starting job in the NFL. I thought getting drafted was enough. And so what happened next, sitting in front of the, the coach and the GM, I, I had to speak up for myself for the first time. And so what I said was, among other things, I kind of forget, but the gist of what I said is, you guys are about to be the number one seed in the playoffs. And... If the starting center gets hurt going into the game, going into the Super Bowl, would you guys trust this other guy that you brought in to replace me to go start and take you guys to the Super Bowl? Or would you trust me? And they both sat back for a moment and just pondered what I said. It really could feel it really hit them. And they looked at each other like, I guess we'll just have to trust the other guy. And I said, okay, that's cool. That's all I needed to know. Uh, I'm going to go get another opportunity, another team. I know that, and I'm going to start fresh, and I'm going I'm to make this thing happen for myself because I'm no longer going to play the victim. I'm going to go take what's, what's mine, what I, what I deserve. And I, I told myself, there's going to come a time when I'm not playing this game anymore, and I'm going uh, to walk away. And it might be because I get cut. It might be because I decide to walk away. But whenever I'm done playing this game, I do not want to be filled with regret that I could have done more. If I'm not good enough, it's because, and, and, and I know I gave 110% everything I possibly had to make it work and I wasn't good enough, I could live with that. But the fact that I had to live with that regret, I, was, I just promised myself that was never gonna happen again. So I turned around, walked out the door, I did the whole um, releasing, uh, cut, signed all the forms, went down to the trainers, uh, signed out, did the physical, turned my pads in, uh, and then I went back up and was signing the final papers uh, with the um, with the contract guy, and then his phone rings. Bring, bring. He answers it. He says, "Yeah, he's still here." He's like, "Yeah, yeah." And then he hangs the phone up. He says, "Joe, um, Thomas and uh, and Mike Mike Smith want to want to see you real quick." So I'm like, "Okay, that's that's strange." So I go back in the room. This is like 15 minutes later. They sit me down and they say, "Joe, we've we've thought about what you said, and we're going to keep you on the roster." And, uh, you know, with all these contingencies of like, you, you got to earn your spot, you know, we're going to give you another chance and all these things. And I was like, whoa, blown away. And I don't know if there's ever been another player that's talked his way out of getting cut. <laughs> Pretty crazy. And so I, I, um, I, I made a promise to myself in that moment that I'm going to do whatever it takes to earn this starting job and give everything I have uh, and not wait for an opportunity, but go out and take it. Um, three weeks later, we were 
we were playing in the the second round of the playoffs against because we had the first round by uh, against the Seattle Seahawks, and I was on the field dressing for the first time as the backup um, because of what I said. And um, we ended up winning the game, and then went to the NFC Championship game against the 49ers and lost. We were up twenty four three at halftime, and ended up losing. Uh, similar to the Falcons when they went to the Patriots, I wasn't on that team though. Um, so then. We lost that game, and then that offseason, I, I I put my head down, and I had the best offseason of my life. I was I was just determined to earn that starting job, and it was between me and this top draft pick that they drafted the year prior. The the older guy had finally retired, and uh, throughout training camp, throughout the offseason, I, I reshaped my body. I was in the best shape of my life. I was the best body fat percentage. I was the strongest I've ever been. I was just playing really, really well. I was leading well, but I was with the second string, and... I out I outplayed this guy, and they ended up giving him the starting job because he was a higher draft pick. And um, instead of going into another victim mindset, I decided, you know what? I've been here before. I'm just going to keep my head down and keep working. I'm going to earn this thing. I'm going to earn this thing. Nine games into that season, and 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 just to mention, this is my contract year. So my fourth year contract year. Um, Going into the offseason, I would be a free agent. And I was just set on going to a new team, having a fresh start because of this up and down uh, experience I had with the Falcons. And so I went in uh, week nine. They ended up calling me. We were, we were struggling as a team, and, and the center was struggling. And they said, Joe, we're going we're gonna to give you an opportunity. We're going to bench the center, and you're going to start the rest of the season for us and see what you got. So I started the last seven games of the season, and I completely balled out. I played super well, super stoked. And went into the free agency that year. And the Falcons, uh, for those of you that don't know how free agency works, um, the team that you're on can offer you a contract extension until up until uh, free agency starts, which is a couple months after the season ends, when other teams can start talking to you. And so the Falcons offered me a minimum deal. It was like a $60,000 signing bonus with like a half million dollars a year, uh, two years. And so I, I was like, no, I can get that anywhere. I'm, I'm going to go test the market and see and, and get a fresh start. And so fast forward into uh, free agency, um, uh, the Indianapolis Colts uh, decide they want to take bring me in. And the Falcons found out about this, and they were going to fly me in on the first day and, and uh, I assume offer me a deal. And I guess through the offseason, the Falcons really reflected on and saw how much I improved and what I was offering to the team. So they offered me, ended up offering me a two-year, $6 million deal with a $2 million signing bonus. And so... I was blown away and it was one of the greatest moments of my life because I realized I had earned the starting job. It took me five years, but going into my fifth year, I was finally the starting center for the Falcons, had a great quarterback in Matt Ryan, and I was going to have this, 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 this long career as a starting center. And I had finally arrived, I'd finally made it. And four games into that season, my fifth season, I ended up blowing my knee out. I completely shredded my my right ACL and MCL. Uh, we were playing Minnesota. It was a freak play. Went down on the field, and I was crushed. Everything I'd ever worked for, and just the journey that I'd been on to get to that point, and finally earn the starting deal, and I blew my knee out. And just got back to work. Uh, came back that next off season, and um, it's an eleven month recovery, and it was a pretty traumatic injury. And it wasn't fully recovered by the time uh, the season started. And so the Falcons ended up cutting me. And they, they cl- of course, cleared me off, cleared me uh, medically, even though I was like 80% because I needed to get cleared to be able to try and prove that I was able to be on the field. Uh, this is another conflict of interest where uh, the team's saying, you know, you need, to, you need to sign all these papers so that you can get out there and perform and play. So I sign it. Uh, I go out there and play. The knee is not 100% recovered. So they end up releasing me. So I get cut, they cut me week two, and I'm going down to Tampa. And uh, this is really, really cool because when I got cut, it was the first time in my life that I realized this is all happening for a reason. I I knew that I was I was crushed. I was I was grieving, I was crying, I felt like rejected and all these things, felt betrayed, like all the feelings that come with you know, basically getting let go from a job, especially something that you've worked so hard for. Um, but there was this part of me that knew this was all happening for a reason. And I trusted that. 
And so week two, I got an opportunity to be a backup with the uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They already had a starter that they had just brought in and paid pretty good money to. And so that was the only opportunity that was available to me. So I decided to go in as a backup week two. I got there on a Wednesday, ended up dressing as a backup on a Sunday versus the Saints. And the first play of the second half, the starting center rolled his ankle. And so I went out there. I, I barely even knew my teammates' names. I was just like, I had to learn the whole playbook in like five days. And I went out there and I crushed it. And the deal that they gave me was this, this league minimum deal with all these incentive bonuses to earn starter money. But in order to do that, I have to play at least 90% of the plays both years with all these escalators. Basically, I had to play right away to hit all those escalators. So right when I got there, starting center rolled his ankle, uh, ended up starting the next six games, and the starting center uh, was healthy again. And he came back, and they ended up you know, telling him, we're going to stick with Joe because he's playing so well. I ended up starting 30 games in a row, and I hit all of my incentive bonuses, all my structures, which gave me enough money to start contemplating my retirement. And so going into my seventh year, I was a free agent once again, and they ended up um, bringing me back and telling me that I'm going to have to compete for my starting job again and ended up losing it again to a younger guy uh, that wasn't as talented, wasn't as skilled. Um, and there's a bunch of different reasons for that. Um, but that was the moment, my eighth year, when I I'd lost my starting job for the fifth time. And I was, I was tired of having to prove myself. And I felt worn out. I felt beat down. My body was physically just in pain all the time. All the time. Every day I wake up, just miserable pain. Had to do everything to take care of it. And I just, you know, started questioning, like, am I, am I, what am I doing this for? And I just want to share, like, the love I had for the game on Sundays when I was competing on the field. There's no coaches out there. It was just the pure competition of the game, me versus the guy in front of me, and just the plays and the playing. And it's just, I loved that so much everything else that went along with it in order to perform and play the highest level, it was just wearing on me. And so it was the first time in my life I decided I'm, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be doing this anymore. And that started unraveling a process that was really, really challenging. Uh, I told my parents that I was going to walk away from the game and they weren't supportive. Um, they, they, you know, my dad didn't understand how I could say no to millions of dollars and walk away from the game. Like, what are you going to do? Um, my, my fiance at the time, she was like, you're not retiring. Like we're, we're just getting started. And so her identity was lost in the idea of being uh, a football player's partner as well. And it just really created this, this deep isolation and loneliness and knowing like everything I'd ever worked for, everything I'd ever loved, I was saying goodbye to. I'm really grateful that I had an opportunity to, to know that at the beginning of the season, cause I was able to play the rest of that season really present with a lot of gratitude for everything. I just soaked it all in. I ended up getting an opportunity to play my final five games because a couple guys got injured and I played some of the best football of my life. And so after my final game, I decided, you know, it's time to, to walk away. And then a few weeks after, after the game, I, I, I felt the finality of it all. And I had broken up with my, my partner at the time. I was engaged. Um, everybody I told I was leaving the game. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like anybody really understood or got what I was moving through. And I literally, it was, it was as if I, I went into my own chest, I grabbed my heart and I ripped it out. And there was just a void, a hole. And the, the, the things I was confronting were these deep existential questions of, of who am I? What's my purpose? What am I here to do? How do I get through this? Who, like, who, who's my community? Where's my tribe? Where, where's my home? I, don't, I didn't feel grounded anywhere. I didn't know where to go. I felt so just like floating. And what I knew is I needed to get moving. I needed to experience. One thing I knew is like, I want to experience freedom from this. This, this. this is almost like a self-created prison that I was in because of my identity being so locked in football being so locked in like who I am, what I do, the money I make, the, the attention I receive. Like, who am I outside of this? I want to know. I want to know what the freedom from this story really is. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to connect with. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to have to go 
on an adventure and go travel around. And that's when I ended up buying a van and traveling the country and, and going on this journey of healing and self-discovery. And that journey has been five years and every single season the the football starts, I just, I, I couldn't get myself to watch it. I just felt so disconnected from it. There's still a lot of grief and shame and uh, sadness and confusion and envy of the guys still playing and do I still have it and what am I doing now? And so this is the first year I've been able to watch the game and really, really reconnect with it and the love I have for it. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's one thing, you know, people say, like, what do you miss about the game? I, I miss being that good at something. I worked my entire life to be one of the best in the world. And I was a top 10, at, at one point I was a top 10 center in the league. So I was top 10 at my position in the world. Like there wasn't a lot of people that were better than me at what I did. And even that's, that's a subjective thing because we're all like have our own different gifts. And there's definitely not a lot of people when I watch football with people. It's like, you know, I, I watched football with friends like, uh, the other weekend. And it was just so cool, like talking about the game and how much I know about the game and being able to see all the little intricacies and see how the energies of it all. And it's just been really fun to finally have gone through the process of grieving the loss of it. And this is the beautiful thing about grief, right? Within the grief lives the love that we feel like we've lost. Within the grief lives the love that we feel like we've lost. And so as I've grieved the loss of football and gone through this process of healing, and there's a lot more different griefs from different experiences and traumas and all this stuff that comes along with it, and it's been a deep, profound journey. But as, I, as I've been able to access that grief and really feel it, I've been able to reaccess and connect with the love that I have for it. And so it's been really beautiful to reconnect with this game that is such a, a powerful part of our society and culture and so impactful. And so one of the things that I was feeling when I was watching this game the other night was this journey of leadership that I've been on and really knowing that my soul's purpose and my path in this life is to lead. And what I found on reflection on my journey through football in the last five years is that I had such resistance to leading. And I think there's a lot of different reasons why, different experiences when I was younger. But I think I just, I couldn't connect with what I was taught leadership was. I thought as a leader, I needed to have it all together. I needed, in order for to, to tell somebody what to do, I needed to be perfect. I better do, be doing everything right if I'm going to tell somebody else what, what, what to do. And also the leadership of this like hierarchical structure and being seen as a leader. And then what if I say the wrong thing? And what if I get exposed? And all of these things kept me from stepping up as a leader. And so on reflection, as I look back on my career, one of the things I, I feel like the reason I didn't feel like I, I reached my fullest potential is because I didn't reach my fullest potential as a leader. And I never allowed myself to fully show up in, in, in the power I have as a leader. So there's a couple different types of leader, right? There's the leaders that lead, they're vocal leaders. There's the leaders that everybody respects in the locker room or on a team. There's the leaders that lead by example. And I was always a leader at, led by example. I played hard. I, I encouraged guys on the field. I would talk to guys in the locker room. But anything that, that I had to step up and be seen in who I am, I would always let fear win. I mean, there's moments throughout my entire career when it was like I was being called to like either give a speech or share something or, or call somebody out or like get people on the same page. And I just, I couldn't do it because I was so scared. And I think knowing that I never, you know, back to like when I got cut and I was filled with regret, when I walked away from the game, there was part of me that was filled with regret and I didn't know what it was, but it was this shame of, I didn't reach my fullest potential. And so on this journey over the last five years of getting into entrepreneurship and starting a business and starting a family, 
I've really been tapping into who I am and learning what leadership really is and how to lead from the heart. And that's why when I started my company, uh, Heart Collective, that was the reason I, I called it the Heart Collective because I wanted to know like what, what, what made me such a good player? What made me such a good football player? Why was I, you know, as an undersized, um, not the best athlete, not the strongest, I was pretty smart, but definitely undersized. Like, how did I make it eight years in the NFL? How did I earn my starting job back five different times when I lost it? And it's because I played the game with heart. The leading by example was the way I played the game was with my heart. But I didn't know how to lead with my heart because nobody had modeled that for me. Nobody showed me how, gave me permission. And when I look at the world right now, the thing that's missing is, is, is leaders who know how to lead from the heart, who lead with openness, with vulnerability, with compassion, knowing that it's not about me, it's about the us. And leadership is not about telling people what they need to do or where they're doing it wrong. It's about reminding them of where we're all headed, reminding them of the vision that we're holding together. And I just didn't know how to do that. And I don't think a lot of people know because in our society and our culture, that's not what we're taught. We're taught this, this idea, this archetypal warrior is, is the Sylvester Stallone, the Rambo, right? The Rambo with a knife in the jungle. There's 30 bad guys. He's got to take them all on alone. And somehow he comes out successful by himself, battered and bruised, but he got the job done and he did it alone. We idolize this archetype. It's been a huge part of our society and culture. And you can think of all these other different examples of that. But what is real leadership? I think of the, the story of the 300 where you're only as strong as the man next to you. If there's one weak link in the phalanx, the whole thing falls apart. So it's not, not about this hierarchical structure. It's about standing strong with the person next to you, reminding them of the vision, saying, I got you. We're, we're in this together. And how do you pull that, that power out of each individual? That's what real leadership is, is reminding and showing who people are, what they're capable of, and what, that we're stronger together. <sighs> I have a lot of different examples of leaders playing in the game of football, Play, leaders that were players, leaders that were coaches in the front office. And I have really good examples of some leaders that I really loved playing for, playing with, and some, some examples of leaders that I despised and knew how, the ways not to do it. You know, there's, there's the tyrannical leaders. I had uh, a, a couple offensive line coaches that they coached out of fear. They coached out of, out of the, the worry of making mistakes. You better not make mistakes. That's why you have to perform better. And then I played with the, the leaders that were empowering and encouraging. And they coached out of this place of knowing that they're pulling the best out of me. They knew I was capable of more even when I didn't think I was, I was capable, they, they drew that out of me. And that made me want to do even more for them and play harder for them because they saw me and they knew what I was capable of. The world needs more leaders like that. And how do you lead, like, lead from that place? Is you learn to tap into your heart. Learn to lead from the heart. That's what it's all about. And it's been super cool because one of the reasons I, when I was watching that game the other night and I was connecting with the energy of my career and being on the football field and being how, like knowing how I do it differently and all the lessons that I've learned and what I'm being called to bring into the world now. Like, man, I would bring so much of this love and this energy and this presence and this vision and my power as a leader into that world that's so filled with this like toxic fear-based energy and I, I look at football and it's such a an iconic thing for our culture and so many people look up to it and look to it and it's a direct reflection of kind of our collective energy of what we're moving through 
I look into businesses and different leaders in politics and the world is not as messed up as some might say. There's a lot of problems we're facing, a lot of things that need to be fixed, but I don't think it's necessarily the systems that need to be fixed. I think it's our idea of leadership and what it takes to be a leader and who we give our energy to as leaders and what we call forth from our leaders. Heart-led leadership is what is needed now. Heart-led leadership is what's going to change how we do things, how we show up in business, in work, in family. And that's what I'm passionate about bringing to the world now. It's what I'm doing with the Heart Collective, with Heart-led leadership. I'm working with individuals and uh, companies and cultures. And we're putting together a, a beta program for small businesses and we're doing corporate trainings and excited to continue rolling this out because I know that all of the lessons that I've been through, the journey that I've went on from football and having all this shame, what I've realized is that was, that was a boot camp. What I went through through football was exactly what it was supposed to be for me so that I could learn the lessons to show up and bring this new idea of leadership to those who are ready to start embodying these principles. This is something that interests you. I would love to share more. Uh, I would love to connect. If you are an entrepreneur, visionary creator who has a business, uh, a team, if, you're, if you have a team that you lead in corporate or manage, and you want to learn more about the principles of heart-led leadership, reach out. Would love to connect. Would love to share these simple tools to learn to tap into the feeling, to the energy, to compassion, to know how to communicate, to find balance, to deal with, with this burnout culture that we have in our, in our society as well. And the biggest thing of all is how to come back into alignment, alignment within ourselves and alignment within our businesses, alignment within our teams, alignment within our visions of a more beautiful world and how to build it together. What a journey. What a journey. I'm really grateful for everybody listening uh, and really, really excited about the journey ahead. I'm excited that I'm able to watch football again. I love it so much and excited to pay attention. This is the first year I'm going to really, really dive in and, and pay attention. Last year, I didn't even know who made the playoffs in the NFL. Um, I was surprised when I looked at it, but I'm going to keep tabs on it and, uh, and really start bringing all the things I've learned uh, to the world. And uh, if there's something that interests you, reach out to me. I uh, appreciate you all. And uh, yeah, I got some really good, really good podcast guests coming up. So stay tuned. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, and would be honored if anybody in your life that you feel would be impacted by this podcast, uh, by the energy that we cultivate, even the, the guided meditations in the beginning, go ahead and share this episode with them. Um, and yeah, I'll see you all soon. Peace.